0: To learn who rules over you, simply find out who you are not allowed to criticise. You are listening to ACH. I'm Andy, your host. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Peter Hammond. So let's bring him up right now. Peter, are you with us?
1: I'm with you, yes. Thank you, Andrew.
0: Excellent. And folks, just to let you know before I give you the title and hand over to Peter, what we're going to do from now on with this and pretty much all my shows apart from sunday's traditional christian message which peter kindly writes um When I record a show, I'm going to put it out as soon as I've got it typed up and it's uploaded. So it might vary day to day. I generally record Peter on Tuesday. Last week we recorded on Monday. Um, And so you're going to get the shows as and when they're done. So they're literally almost live. So I just wanted to make that clear. So please check the website on a daily basis. And also please check all of Peter's websites that are linked in the post for all of the shows Peter and I do together. So that being said, Today we have a presentation entitled The Real Story of How Revolutions Turn on Their Own Revolutionaries. So Peter, where would you like to start us off today with this topic?
1: Andrew, I've been working in war-torn areas for over 40 years, and I've been involved in eight different wars and three revolutions. And during this time, i spent a lot of time trying to reach communists for Christ and um, Council Muslims to the Messiah. I've dealt with terrorists. I've had the privilege and opportunity of going into terrorist uh, bases, including PLO and ANC, Swapo, Filimo, Zanu, Zapu. I've preached the gospel to our enemies. I've sought to evangelize enemies. I've had the joy of leading communists to Christ and showing Christian films like the Jesus film, getting into debates with them, even up at universities debating atheist societies and communists on campus over existence of God and the Bible and so on. And one thing I found quite interesting is that communism is somewhat cannibalistic. What I mean is revolutions tend to betray the revolutionaries and the revolution turns on uh, the very foot soldiers and uh, the very activists and masses that they cheerfully use as cannon fodder. And a study of history and of the disastrous track record of the second phase of the revolution should Disillusion any cadre who wants to pay attention. But just consider, for example, the prototype revolution, the French revolution, how um, the revolutionaries ended up uh, destroying their own supporters. And uh, um, shortly after the guillotining of the king and King Louis the 16th wasn't the tyrant that many made him out to be. In fact, he was a reformer king and he did a lot of reformation activities. For example, Louis the 16th signed just the year before uh, the revolution began the um, um Edict of toleration lying all religious activities take place, so that the Protestants were again allowed to practice their faith in france it, it wasn 't only Catholicism um he also called the estates general together and when the Third estates, the um uh, peasants and so on started to uh, basically become revolutionary um louis uh actually gave support to them and didn't listen to his advisors who said mobilize the army and stop them and close them down, the tennis court declaration and so on. In fact, uh, the king arrived wearing the tree killer of the revolutionaries and uh, didn't have any army with him. He came unarmed and without his bodyguards or uh, soldiers with him. And so he, in many ways, tried to appease the revolutionaries and he ended up on a guillotine Uh, 21st of January 1793, Louis XVI was beheaded on the guillotine. Well, shortly after that, 21 Girondist leaders, these were major uh, revolutionaries like Madame Roland, were also beheaded and the Duke of Orleans, who had joined the Jacobins and took the name of Citizen Egalitaire and even voted for the death of his cousin, the king. Even he, the Duke of Orleans or Citizen Egalitaire, was executed at this time on the same guillotine. And the reign of terror spread throughout France. And when one city sought to resist, it was destroyed. And Lyon, a major city in France, was destroyed. And the revolutionaries set up a pillar outside Lyon saying, Lyon, wage war with liberty. Lyon is no more. And you saw time and again uh, revolutionaries ending up um, as victims of the same revolution. So Denton, wh- who was one of the key revolutionary leaders, at one stage you would have said Denton was the leader of the revolution, well, he was executed on the 5th of April, 1793. And on the 7th of May, Robespierre, Maximilian Robespierre, sought to impose a new religion in France, declaring a new calendar starting with the year one. So 21st September, 1792, became the day one in their new calendar. And Robespierre appoints himself the high priest of the new cult, this new atheistic cult of the new religion, a new calendar. Well, on the 27th of July, 1794 Robespierre and 20 of his henchmen were seized and executed by the survivors of the convention. More than 40,000 victims had been murdered on the guillotine under the reign of terror. And two thirds of those victims were peasants, artisans, workers. It wasn't only the nobility who were executed on the guillotine. Most of the people, were actually the, the people, the common people, artisans and workers. Madame Roland, as she has been ushered up the platform to be guillotined, faced the statue of the goddess Liberty and said, Oh, Liberty, Liberty, what crimes are committed in thy name? And she should know. She was one of the people who was a cheerleader for the guillotine and sent so many others there. But to think that Maximilian Robespierre, the chairman of the Committee of Public Safety, which launched the vicious atheistic war against Christianity, the man who set up the 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 leader, the prototype of all revolutionaries, Robespierre is the inspiration for... Uh, all the revolutionaries, whether you're talking about Vladimir Lenin, Trotsky, Joseph Stalin, Mao Tung, Fidel Castro, Che Guevara, Patrice Lumumba, Nikolai Ceausescu, Pol Pot, Ho Chi Minh, Robert Mugabe. For all of them, um, Robespierre is the prototype. He's the gold standard. He is the revolutionary. He is the man, the most prominent leader of the French Revolution. And he ended up on the same guillotine he had condemned so many thousands of others to. And that's only one example I was brought up in Rhodesia. So let me mention Zimbabwe. Robert Mugabe had Josiah Magaba Tongarora, the commander of the Zonla guerrilla army. Zonla was Zimbabwe, uh, the Zimbabwe African National Liberation Army, Zonla. So Zonu's army was led by uh, Josiah Tongarora. And Tongarora was assassinated 26th of December, 1979. 26th of December, day after Christmas. Many had expected Tongarara was going to be the first president of Zimbabwe. With Robert Mugabe, the head of the political wing as the prime minister, but they had the commander of the army, the guerrilla army of ZANU, they expected him to be present. And next thing, Tongarara is strategically removed, and this left the path to the presidency open to Robert Mugabe, who, who was dictated for something like 40-odd years. Well, in the same way, the founder of Filimo, communist uh, Liberation Front of Mozambique. Um, the founder of Frelimo in Mozambique was Eduardo Mulani. And Eduardo Monlani was assassinated in 1969 by a parcel bomb in Frelimo headquarters in Dar es Salaam to make way for Samora Michel. And nobody in Mozambique doubts that Samora Michel, the first president of communist Mozambique, assassinated the founder of Frelimo, Eduardo Mulani. The most important street in Maputo, I've driven down many a time, is Eduardo Mulani Avenue, or Boulevard. And they honor Eduardo Milani, but he was murdered uh, by uh, the first dictator, Samora Michel. Now, the South African Communist Party leader, Chris Harney, was assassinated the 10th of April 1993 and made a big scene in South Africa. And they blamed this on Polish citizen Janusz Wallace, uh, who is still in jail, and South African Conservative Party leader, Clive Darby Lewis, who died in prison. Uh, But According to ANC's own leaders, Bantu Holomisa and Winnie Mandela, who was Nelson Mandela's uh, wife, uh, divorced wife, they both claimed this was actually an inside job to remove the obvious favorite for deputy president of the ANC under Mandela to make way for Thabo Mbeki. Now, Winnie Mandela claimed that the ANC bodyguards were removed from Hani for the day of the assassination, and that's a fact of history. His bodyguards had the day off. They were not with him on the day he got assassinated. And to this day, there are many in South Africa believe Chris Horney, the head of the South Communist Party, the head of Umkhonto we says with the terrorist wing of the ANC, that he was assassinated as part of an inside job to remove the obvious um, favorite. And I've debated Chris Horney. Um, I was at the uh, Washington Press Club and uh, heard him giving his uh, diatribe about um, fighting for freedom in South Africa. And he spoke about the political prisoners in South Africa. Well, I'd got an invitation to Press Club and so I asked him the question, uh, these political prisoners, are any of them um, guilty of having been involved in violence like petrol bombs or necklace murders? And He said, well, of course they've been involved in the struggle, but they're political prisoners all the same. So next thing I said is, now, you've come here with your begging bowl to America uh, to get funds, uh, but you've spoken out against America and you support all the enemies of America, Red China and Gaddafi's Libya and um, named a whole lot of other um, of the pariah states of the world, which uh, he had personally visited and was speaking out positively of. And he said, just because he give you money does not give you the right to tell us who our friends will be. And uh, uh, he still hadn't learned his lesson. He didn't seem to have picked up my South African accent, Uh, which is actually a Rhodesian accent, but nevertheless. So I uh, asked him uh, that – considering that you use car bombs and limpet mines and uh, necklace murders to kill people, um, how do you think Americans are going to trust you to bring freedom to South Africa, considering that you used the tools of terrorism to get to power? And he said, you Americans use B-52 bombers and use cruise missiles. And just because we use suitcases and car bombs and uh, landmines, it doesn't make it any different. And uh, well, I think he might have a bit of a point there on some part, but I don't think the average American sitting there was very impressed with his answers. So I somewhat undermined his um, propaganda tour. And uh, I wanted to talk to him, but he was surrounded by people immediately afterwards, press people fawning over him. I mean, this uh, real revolutionary, a shake of our type character, a very eloquent, very charismatic leader, Chris Harney. Uh, but I got talking with other people who wanted to know where I came from and why I was asking these provocative questions. And uh, then when I went to the elevator, and we were very high up in a building in Washington, D.C., and uh, maybe about the 50th floor or something. So I went to the elevator, and while I was waiting there, out of a side room came Chris Harney and his three bodyguards around him. Well, I thought, this is obviously of the Lord. So as we stand stood there, I... Uh, start to ask him some key questions, which I'd wanted to still get to. And uh, he very quickly understood um, that he is talking to a South African and uh, that I knew some of the victims of his car bombings and other terrorist attacks. And so I could see his bodyguards getting very nervous. We are in this elevator and we are going down. So I had this captive audience and I'm showing a gospel with him and asked him, you know, um, if he thinks he's going to heaven when he dies and he's no, uh, I'm an atheist. I'm a communist and he cursed God's name. And uh, I said, you have an appointment to point a man once to i and offer to face judgment. And I start to challenge him with the gospel. And his bodyguards were looking awfully nervous because we're in this confined space and they obviously saw this man may be something of a threat. I mentioned him, some of the people that I knew that uh, his um, country he says we're terrorists terrorist that assassinated. And uh, uh, the man uh, basically, um, made clear he hated God, he hated Christ, he despised Christianity. He is an atheist and he is for the revolution. And we got to the bottom and, you know, basically made clear to him, you will bow before Christ either today in the day of grace as your Lord and savior in repentance, or you will bow on the day of judgment. The question isn't, will you bow to Christ? But when will you bow to Christ? You have an appointment and one day you will have to give an account to almighty God, the eternal judge. And, uh, he l- left the elevator and, uh, just a few days later, he died in this assassination, 10th of April, 1993. And uh, interestingly, disinformation went all around the Christian world that Chris Honey was a Christian and uh, uh, that he had been converted. And so this uh, uh, Janusz Wallace, this Polish person, had murdered a man who's actually a secret Christian. I was able to say, well, actually, I met him just a few days ago and he was quite clearly an atheist. But then I saw there was an advert up at University of Cape Town, my journey from faith to atheism. Chris Harney is the speaker and he is scheduled to speak later that week at the University of Cape Town on my journey from faith to atheism. So that kind of disproved the whole uh, Gala Bill story. There are people also spreading stories that you know that uh, Nelson Mandela was a Christian, of course. Uh, They would spread out there to try and encourage people to support the government releasing him from prison when he was in prison. And when he came out of prison, people were waiting for him to make some kind of testimony to Christ but he was consistently atheistic, consistently Marxist, and, and never uh, moved from the revolution at all. So that was intriguing. But how interesting that you have a false flag assassination where the popular leader of the revolution, Chris Harney, who was without a shadow of a doubt going to be Mandela's deputy and the next president of South Africa after Nelson Mandela, who was always going to be just a one-term president because of his age. and uh, And he gets murdered by the very organization that now sings its praises. Well, the Communist Revolution in Red China in 1949 was followed by the Great Leap Forward in 1958, and then there was a second phase of the revolution from 1966 to 1976. And the second phase of the revolution, or the Cultural Revolution, includes massive seizures of property, widespread land reform, confiscation without compensation, and public humiliation ceremonies for all religious and cultural leaders. They'd be forced to come and confess their sins before the community who would pelt them with uh, all kinds of filth and um, they'd have to stand a chair with um, sort of a big dunce cap over their head paper hat with all kinds of stupid things written on it. And they'd have to uh, bow before the people and they would be whipped and mistreated and finally executed. There was torture, hard labor, mass executions, and it's calculated over 69 million people died in the second phase of the revolution in China making Mao Zedong the greatest mass murderer in history, even more than uh, Joseph Stalin. Now, the Cultural Revolution in China includes purging the party of anyone deemed disloyal. And this even included the present Liu Xiaqui and General Liu Riquin. So it was a troika running China at that time. Mao Zedong was chairman, the present Liu Shakui, and then the head of the army, General Liu Riquin. And Mao Zedong mobilizes Red Guards to even execute the president and the head of the army as disloyal to the party. I mean, can you even believe that that's possible? And they went to every farm and village in the country, purged reactionaries, counter-revolutionaries, and anyone deemed not sufficiently enthusiastic for the revolution. And this was the destruction of thousands of years of culture, crippling the country economically. It impoverished China intellectually and culturally. But Mao could mobilize his Red Guards for this destructive campaign because they'd never known life in nationalist China and they'd been very effectively indoctrinated in the state schools with Marxist propaganda and Mao's Little Red Book. So even in China, you had some of the main revolutionaries, some of the most prominent revolutionaries wiped out by um, the revolution. And one remembers that Joseph Stalin had uh, Leon the uh, or Leon Trotsky uh, wiped out. So Trotsky, who was the um, hero of the revolution, the head of the Red Army, uh, he was literally killed with an ice pick, uh, assassinated uh, by the NKVD, 20th of August, 1940 in Mexico. So Liam Trotsky, uh, who had been born Levi Davidovich Bronstein, um, but Leon Trotsky, the hero of the revolution, the head of the Red Army, um, he gets assassinated by the NKVD, the founder, the predecessor KGB, already in 1940. So if you've read Animal Farm, uh, Snowball is based on Trotsky, uh, even as Napoleon is based on Stalin. And, you know, four legs good, two legs bad, and uh, all of that, and um, uh, the whole Animal Farm, uh, which is an excellent satire on communist revolution. But in the Great Purge under Stalin in the 1930s, over 950,000 Russians were killed by the Soviet secret police, the NKVD, and this included many Communist Party members many government officials, many officers of the Red Army, and many veterans of the Bolshevik Revolution of 1917. So there's another example of how revolutions become cannibalistic, communism ends up killing their own, and uh, how many of the people who were major sacrificial leaders in the early years of the revolution end up killed by their own revolution. Cuba also had its second phase of the revolution, and Fidel Castro openly admitted his communist roots and ambitions, and he nationalized all industries and agriculture and replaced the courts of law with people's tribunals and the creation of what he called a worker state. And many of the people executed ended up to be uh, some of the friends and co-workers of Fidel Castro. In fact, Fidel Castro even had um, General uh, Sanchez executed at the end of the war in Angola. Uh, when we fought the Cubans in Angola, the South African Defense Force Uh, At the end, we're fighting even the the best of the Cubans, the Cuban uh, mechanized division from the presidential guard. So Fidel Castro sent his best mechanized division to defeat us in the end in 1988, and the South African 61 mechanized battalion group destroyed um, the presidential guard's mechanized division. And then Fidel Castro took his friend, who was one of his original compatriots, uh, General Assange, who was actually the... He was the head of all communist forces in Angola. He was over even the national uh, MPLA troops. Here FAPLA. He was over the Russians, the East Germans. Everyone who was in uh, Angola was under him. He was the supreme commander, sort of like the Eisenhower of of the Soviet operations in Angola. And he was put on trial, and he was then shot by firing squad for losing the war against the South African fascist colonial racists and uh, all that sort of thing. So. Even Fidel Castro's best man, who he had trusted, who'd been with him from the very beginning of the revolution, so-called, in Cuba, he ended up being shot by his own side. Well, we've seen many examples like that through the years. In Zimbabwe, the second phase of the revolution was launched approximately 20 years after the signing of the Lancaster House Agreement, which led to the transfer of power with guarantees of private ownership property, rule of law, separation of powers, legal safeguards, But despite receiving massive foreign aid from Britain and America and the EU, Mugabe's ZANU government failed to provide any of the things that they'd promised. And so they had to unleash their North Korean trained 5th Brigade to massacre their early allies, the Zimbabwe African People's Union, ZAPU. They were Madhubili, so they were from the minority tribe. And ZANU of Mugabe were from the majority tribe. And Mugabe turned on his own allies, the Zapu Mudabili and had tens of thousands of them murdered. Many of them were thrown down mine, mine shafts like the Antelope Mine, the Atka mine, Mudabiland. And I've been there to the killing fields of Mudibeland in Zimbabwe. That's where I actually grew up in in Mudabiland. Uh, I was in Bulawayo. And you can go to these mines and um, we walked in what they called the long fields where the people had been murdered, Mudabili murdered by the tens of thousands by these North Korean trained Fifth Brigade who were the political army of ZANU-PF. They all had to be ZANU-PF members and they all had to be Shauna to be a member of 5th Brigade. North Koreans trained them and they came into Madabili land in what they, they called the Gokuro-Hundi, which is a great cleaning out of the filth. And uh, they uh, rounded up all the men in the villages and killed them. And even the babies were killed and they said, um, baby Madabili are just uh, baby dissidents or counter-revolutionaries. And they, needed to get rid of them too. Even pregnant women were cut open, the babies ripped out and killed, because they said they will only grow up to be dissidents or resistance, counter-revolutionaries. And you can poke your head over some of these mineshafts to try and see maybe sometimes there's a body lying over one of the crossbeams that hadn't been knocked off yet to fall down the mine shaft. But even if you can't see much, you can smell the smell of death. It just The Bedford trucks came in great numbers and just floated vast amounts of dead bodies down the shafts um, at, at these mines, at mine and Antelope mine and others around Madibiland. So in order to distract the citizens from the failures of government, they blame all their woes on uh, someone else. In this case, Madibili, or later the white farmers, the very farmers who were feeding the country, providing most of the exports. The foreign exchange were the largest employees in the country. They were the ones to blame for the problems in the country. And so the Communist Party in, in Zimbabwe, Zonu, unleashed a wave of violent farm invasions, which led to total collapse of the Zimbabwean economy, the worst hyperinflation ever seen in history. And even after deleting 16 zeros from the currency, a $100 trillion note, and I've got a $100 trillion note, in 2008, that could not even buy half a loaf of bread. And one brick in 2008 cost more than every home business, farm and property in all of Zimbabwe in 1980. The national suicide of Zimbabwe under the communist dictatorship of Robert Mugabe and now Managawa led to more than half of the total population fleeing the country. Unemployment skyrocketed to over 90%. That's the 90% of the 50% left of those who hadn't fled the country yet. And so communism has always proved to be a catastrophe. It's the worst disaster and the greatest killer in history. Socialism has never achieved a better standard of life for its adherents. The high-sounding ideals of the socialist revolutionaries have continually, consistently turned into nightmares, uh, nightmares which people have sought to flee from, and millions of the long-suffering people in socialist, communist, revolutionary countries have used extraordinary ingenuity to endeavor to escape from. Millions succeeded against all odds in escaping through and across the Iron Curtain and behind the Berlin Wall or across the shark-infested waters of Cuba. And millions of people voting with their feet, have fled from Marxist oppression and land reform such as in Zimbabwe. And this should be a sufficient warning to all those who believe in promoting the socialist revolutionary ideals that they're actually working for a better future. 2 Peter 2.19 says, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. The Communist Party doesn't actually care about the masses that they use as foot soldiers and cannon fodder for the revolution. 2 Chronicles 19.2 says, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. It's so important for us to know that um, in every revolution there's two phases. The first phase is seizing political control. But the second phase of the revolution, which in the French Revolution is called the Reign of Terror, seeks to radically transform every aspect of society. The second phase of the revolution is a cultural revolution, a religious revolution, a social and economic revolution, And the second phase of the revolution in France, for example, includes seizing control over every area of life, including churches, schools, farms, beheading tens of thousands of people on a guillotine and a reign of terror in which over 300,000 people were actually executed by firing squads, drownings and other means just in France. And then Europe was plunged into 25 years of constant warfare, which devastated Europe as a result of the French Revolution. And you can say the same with the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia. Uh, they had 18 million peasants lost their homes and farms. Millions were deported to Siberia. 11 million Ukrainians died in the massacres and the resultant man-made famine, the starvation between 1929 and 1936, which Ukrainians call the Holodomor, which is the Great Famine or the Ukrainian Genocide. The word Holodomor literally means death by hunger or to kill by hunger, to starve uh, to death. Holodomor is a compound of the Ukrainian words holod, which means hunger, and mor, which means plague. So it's literally a hunger plague. And if any of our listeners have not seen the film Bitter Harvest, I recommend it. Bitter Harvest is a dramatic film made in 2017, dramatizing the horrors of the Soviet Holodomor, in Ukraine. But it's well-made, and it's got resistance, and it's got hope. And it's not just a catalog of horrors, but it's a well-made film, uh, The Bitter Harvest, or Bitter Harvest from 2017. And the Black Book of Communism and other books like that provide documentation of the systematic extermination of the farmers and the peasants in Ukraine, once called the breadbasket of Europe. And this was followed by the Great Purge or Great Terror in which hundreds of thousands of Russians, even vanguards of the revolution, and some of the greatest heroes of the revolution were murdered uh, by Stalin, including even Leon Trotsky, the hero of the revolution, so-called, and founder of the Red Army. So all revolutions eventually turn on their revolutionaries. Communism is cannibalistic and militants need to understand the message that they might be used by the politicos who find them useful now but the people who can organize a revolution in the streets cannot be trusted by the revolution when they have power because the people who overthrew the previous government might overthrow this government when they see how they don't keep to their promises and they don't um, adhere to all the things that they claimed that they would. And so revolutionaries remove rivals and revolutionaries assassinate rivals and uh, they will use false flags if necessary, but make no mistake, the national suicides that communist regimes have initiated always involve worsening the situation for everyone. We should not be deceived. You just need to look at those who voted with their feet, the people who fled away from what's meant to be workers' paradises and we just passed the anniversary of the fall of the Berlin Wall, 9th of November. The fact that Four and a half million people from the DDR or the German Democratic Republic, four and a half million escaped the greatest obstacle course ever man, made for man across a stolen grass, which is the same thing as uh, spikes uh, uh, in boards. They call it stolen grass. But have all these spikes that you can't, of course, run over uh, like beds of nails. And uh, the landmines and the electric fences and the barbed wire and the killer dogs and the self um, firing guns and the flares and all the other things, the machine gun, guard towers. The people that managed to escape across the Iron Curtain behind the Berlin Wall, uh, they must have been highly motivated to leave everything and flee. Um, how terrible must the workers' paradise have been for people to want to do that? My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. We need to be informed. We need to resist indoctrination and disinformation, and we need to recognize the truth. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And I think if Cadres understood what a catastrophe communism has always been in practice, what a disaster it has been, and how it's been the greatest killer in history, and they've never succeeded in achieving a better standard of life for its adherents. And so who are the first people that the communists get rid of? The very people who helped them get to power, because they can't trust them when they know they're not going to keep to their promises. They need to remove the revolutionaries who helped them get to power in case they turn on the revolution and the Communist Party um, and try to remove them. So the Communist Party does not actually care about you. They will use you as a foot soldier, as cannon fodder for the revolution, but every cadre who studies the second phase of the revolution should recognize they might use us, but they have no loyalty to us. Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord, therefore the wrath of the Lord is upon you. Uh, Back to you, Andrew.
0: Thank you, Peter. Yes, and uh, one thing uh, the audience will know from looking at the show image of a guillotine, and what this drew my attention to was the Noahide laws which I cover in my book The Synagogue of Satan I think it was in all the versions Uh, going back to 1991 on March the 20th under pressure from the rabbinical Chabad Lubavitch movement the 102nd Congress of the United States passes Public Law 102-14 to designate March the 26th 1991 as Education Day USA, in respect of educating the public to the seven Noahide laws from the Talmud, which are merely what, what the Pharisees are uh, derived from specific passages in the Torah. Furthermore, they are laws that only non-Jews have to follow. The focus of Public Law 102-14 being an education day is merely a smokescreen to fool the public into believing that the seven Noahide laws were not actually passed into law within this Act. Instead, they want the public to believe that this public law only introduced a one-off, not annual, day of March 26th this year to educate people about the subject. However, it is rapidly obvious that a government-sponsored one-off education Education Day does not require a law passed to ensure its implementation. Therefore, these laws were passed on March the twentieth, nineteen ninety-one, in America, in readiness for when the United States courts wish to use them. And these seven laws are: Avodar Zorah, do not worship false gods. That's number one. Number two, Shefi Chat Damim, do not murder. (laughs) Number three. Gazelle, do not steal or kidnap. Number four, Gilui Ariot, do not be sexually immoral. Forbidden sexual acts are traditionally interpreted to include incest, bestiality, mal-homosexual sex, sex acts and adultery. Five, Burkat Hashem, do not bless God, euphemistically referring to blasphemy. Six, Evermin HaChai, do not eat any flesh that was torn from the body of a living animal. This was given to Noah and traditionally interpreted as a prohibition of cruelty towards animals. Seven dinim. Do not permit oppression or anarchy to rule. Set up a system of honest, effective courts, police, and laws to uphold the six, uh, police and laws to uphold the last six laws. Now, these, this do not worship false gods is very concerning because the uh, orthodox Jews don't recognize Jesus Christ or, you know, for Christianity and for any Islamic people, they don't recognize the Prophet Muhammad. And the Talmud states the penalty for disobedience of any of these laws to be as follows. One additional element of greater severity is that violation of any one of the seven laws subjects the Noahide, that's the non-Jews, to capital punishment by decapitation. And that's from Sanhedrin 57a, which would be the Talmud, I believe. That's where Sanhedrin, I found various Sanhedrins before. Uh, strangely enough, these laws, or the education they link to them, received no criticism from the American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU, which one would have expected, as not only do they represent the enforcement of a particular religions' edicts upon all non-jewish people but they also violate the aclu's long held belief in the separation of church and state so um hence the guillotine folks and the other thing is they talk about this education day usa well if this was so important and um you know this march the 20th 1991 they had to have a law passed so they could have this education day on what the 26th you'd be able to look up all things on the internet of how this great education went across the country in the united states on march the 26th 1991 there'd be wikipedia pages about it uh, what a great event it was and how important it had to be put into law well i've never found any so it seems that their claims as to what it is is incorrect and it could actually be something far more serious. So Peter, what are your thoughts on that? Back to you.
1: Well, um, part of the Noah laws that they've been promoting recently is to try and suggest that this is in preparation for a new age um, when we are going to see um, all of society coming together. And It looks like the Noah covenant that's been spoken about more recently is not really going back to what we're talking about in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, and what God gave to Noah, as much as preparing the world for some new kind of one-world religion, one-world government, one-world economic system in line with the World Economic Forum type of vision. So that's quite disturbing. And in a sense, we're going through a revolution that's being organized by uh, the Council of Foreign Relations, the Illuminati, the the Bilderbergers, the people who are working for a one-world government, which, again, we've got Revelation 13 warning us of antichrist system, seeking to have a one-world government with a one-world economic system and a one-world interfaith religion. And I think these no laws are particularly being um, popularized now um, at this Rabbi Meneshem M. Snierson, who is encouraging Jews to publicize these teachings to prepare the world for the times of peace and wisdom that are swiftly approaching. So they're talking about these no laws being something that – is being encouraged as a foundation for a new world religion, a one world government. And therefore, it's, um, it's disturbing because it goes along with the new intolerance where you're not allowed to disagree with whatever is the accepted internationalist, globalist vision. And I think while some parts of no laws sound like, well, that makes sense, we don't believe in cruelty to animals and things like that. Uh, but nevertheless, this is something that will be applied by people who've got a very different goal, a goal of one world government, one world religion, one world economy, and World Economic Forum kind of idea of you will own nothing and you will be happy, you will be happy, we will tell you you must be happy. Um, in this sense, what they, the people promoting this is that this is to help prepare people for one world um, era when we have a time of peace and wisdom swiftly approaching, and of course their definition of peace and wisdom is not what we would have or what the Bible would give. So I'm concerned about it because it goes along with this move towards globalism and the fourth industrial revolution, transhumanism, um, transgenderism. All of this could be part of the globalist uh, one world government they're talking about. So my idea is we need to respond to revolution with redemption. We need to be evangelizing our enemies. We need to seek to transform uh, terrorists into evangelists. And that's why I've been launching a whole new campaign with our mission. We've been going for 40 years helping persecute church and evangelizing revolutionaries. But we've just got a new section on our Frontline Mission essay.org website where people can come in. And right from top, it speaks about transforming terrorists. There's a whole drop-down section. We've got a, a range of downloadable tracts, and we're trying to get together audio and visuals for giving the gospel to guerrillas, tracts for terrorists, messages for militants, redemption for revolutionaries, transform terrorists into evangelists. This is part of a a new goal of bringing real freedom for freedom fighters because freedom does not follow from what many people call freedom fighters, but we can. David was a conqueror. David killed Goliath, which was a great achievement. But our Lord Jesus Christ is more than a conqueror. He took Saul, the persecuted church, and he turned him into the Apostle Paul, the missionary of the church. We are called to be more than conquerors. And throughout the last 40 years, I've had many opportunities of leading communists to Christ and bringing Muslims to the Messiah, and it's our goal to make this uh, this a good constructive response to what's going on now. As people are looking at increased terrorism and violence and targeting of civilians in the Middle East, that uh, instead of sending in the Marines, how about sending in the missionaries? Instead of bombarding the people with rockets and uh, with bombs and so on, how about bombarding them with the gospel? And They're coming to us with hate. Are we going to them with love and with the gospel of Christ? The best form of defense is attack. And it was this vision that over 40 years ago in the South African Infantry led me to launch Frontline Fellowship as a mission to war zones. And we've gone in and shown the Jesus film in different languages, in communist and Muslim terrorist camps. I've proclaimed the gospel in multiple languages. We've shown the Jesus film in Shona and Portuguese and Chichewa, Bemba, Arabic and uh, we've seen many people who were revolutionaries and terrorists and guerrillas who have now given their lives to the Lord and people who used to be opposed to Christianity, whether from atheism or from jihadist convictions, who now have been redeemed and transformed by the gospel. So this is my uh, recommendation that understanding how the revolution betrays its revolutionaries and how communism is cannibalistic, uh, let us counterattack the increasing terrorism and violence we see in the world today by giving what people on all sides need. Uh, the people, whether you're talking about Hamas or the IDF, they need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They need to repent of their sins. They need to come to Christ. And it's so vital for us to use the word of God. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And the word of God will never turn void. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And God will give us power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we'll be as witnesses to the ends of the earth. It's absolutely vital in this time of increasing terrorism and targeting civilians and violence that we respond with the gospel, with redemption instead of revolution, with the message that can transform these terrorists into evangelists. So back to you, Andrew.
0: Thank you, Peter. And um, I actually saved this for the next Lymish show, but I think it's more appropriate to hear. Uh, this is an article that came out a couple of days ago on the Daily Mail. BBC faces criticism after dropping the Christian terms BC and AD from teaching materials for 7 to 11-year-olds. Let's see what it says here. BBC Teach which um here we are BBC Teach which produces educational films for primary and secondary school children across the UK has replaced the traditional terms with their secular equivalents before common era BCE and common era CE critics last night said the decision to abandon BC which stands for before Christ and AD which is short for anno domini or in the year of our Lord was an attempt to undermine traditional Christian and British values. Uh, get fancy that Peter, the uh, BBC, undermining traditional Christian and British values. But one thing that the um, that the article I couldn't see in there. I'm just sort of scanning through quickly in case I did miss it. But I understand that the well the Jews the Jewish. Uh, faith i don't know if it's orthodox non-orthodox what have you but they have a means of counting years they sometimes use the um, common era and before common era they certainly don't use bc and ad to my knowledge but another way that they do it is they count it from year one so whilst we think we're in year 2023 or 2023. I think some Jews think it's year 4000 and something because they count the years from the start of BC. What can you tell us about that?
1: Yes we have different calendars but I think it's absolutely vital for us to stand for our Christian heritage BC before Christ AD in the year of our Lord Anno Domini. We should not give in to this BCE and uh, CE business. That is an anti-Christian way of trying to erode our Christian culture. It's part of cancel culture. They're trying to replace our Christian terminology and we need to re- re- recognise and remember our Christian heritage. I mean, even our greetings of um, saying to a person goodbye, that is an abbreviation of the old prayer, God be with ye which explains the way you spell goodbye. If you go to, to Austria today, Austria when they greet people, it's uh which is greetings and God in Switzerland it's "Grüzi," which is an abbreviation of, of that and so, um you can still see around the world there's there's different Christian traditions in there. The fact that we have a calendar which has – and your calendar should have Monday as the second day of the week. Sunday should be the first day of the week. Biblically, Sunday is the first day of the week, not Monday. And it's so important that people um, have a calendar which recognizes Sunday as the first day of the week, the way that we structure our calendars. And that we think of things as, you know, what is 2023 anyway? 2,023 years since the Lord Jesus Christ came. And whether I want to change the name or the initial, the fact still is our entire calendar dating system that most of the world adheres to is dated from Jesus Christ, who's the hinge of the ages. He's the one who's turned the river of the ages off its course and he's um, lifted the centuries off the hinges and he's divided all time into before Christ and after Christ. He is the greatest man who ever lived. His... Incarnation is the greatest event in history, and that's how we actually base our calendars. Even the fact that we've got a seven day work week uh, why do we have a a, a six day work week and and a seven day week with a day of rest? That comes from God created the world in six days and he rested in the seventh. So, a seven day week is biblical. Uh, There's so many things in our Christian heritage that we need to keep to. I mean, even the word breakfast comes from breaking the fast, you know, all these Christian concepts that have come into our study and we should keep them. We should cherish them. We should preserve them. We should love our history and not allow it to be taken away by those who are trying to secularize or globalize or paganize the world. And that's, of course, the aim of Antichrist. Revelation 13 explains it. Antichrist wants a one world religion, a one world government, a one world interfaith religion. And we've got to say, no, Jesus is the way, the truth and love. No one comes to the Father except through him. Back you, Andrew.
0: Thank you, Peter. And um, I want to finish off today, folks, with uh, the most important event, uh, certainly the busiest, uh, one of the most important events for me in the uh, Christian calendar in, uh, in the modern day is Peter's Great Commission course that's been going for several years. That uh, Well, I'm going to hand over to Peter to tell you all about this because he's been running it for years and he knows a lot more than me. Peter, when is this coming up? How can people... Uh, join in with you and um, when does it um, what does it involve
1: yes so January we run a biblical worldview summit for a week and a great commission course for three weeks and they overlap one another and so people who want to get involved in missions or want an introduction to missions or a spiritual boot camp we've got an intensive practical hands-on body mind and spirit course which we've designed over the years we've been doing this for 25 years so We've got 40 years experience in missions, but 25 years of running Great Commission courses. And people have come from far and wide, from as far field as Canada, New Zealand, Australia, Switzerland, Germany, Netherlands, Russia, people from Sudan and Nigeria, all over the world come to the Great Commission course. And it's January every year, and it's, it's intensive and practical. People are interested in learning about cross-cultural missions. We have lectures all morning. We've got practicals, and every afternoon we've got practicals, inspirationals and in evening and sometimes hikes and Bible smuggling simulations in the forest and night hikes over the mountains, regular outreaches in the communities. We get into Muslim areas, we do film evangelism, personal evangelism, literature evangelism. We get into busy areas and people get the opportunity to put feet to their faith and lead people to Christ, counsel people to the Lord. It's a wonderful experience. So the Great Commission course... Um, it starts in January on, on the 4th of January. We are mobilizing, um, people from the Great Commission courses for different outreaches thereafter. So if somebody wants to join our mission or any mission, this is a good introductory beginning. People often contact us saying, I want to get involved in your work. How can I do, you do short-term outreaches? Well, we, we are a full-time mission, but we do accept short-term volunteers. We, we need short-term volunteers. But people need training and orientation to be effective in the field. So we've decided to mix this orientation and training with outreaches. So people come and they will get a lot of opportunity for literature, distribution, personal witness and evangelism. Um, but they will also learn a lot. So it's boots on the ground, and the symbol of our Great Commission course, which people can see on our Frontline Mission org website. It's boots laced up. and it's You know, the Bible says we need to, Upon the whole arm of God is having a feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So people come to our courses. It starts with PT every morning, physical training, uh, good intensive physical training to build up one's muscles. And then there's increasingly more hikes in the evenings uh, up and over the different mountains we've got. We start with the smallest mountain around Cape Town. It's Lion's Head. And we end up with Table Mountain. So we're building people up so that at the end of the three weeks, they will be physically fit enough to be able to climb Table Mountain. And people don't just climb Table Mountain. We give them a box of Arabic gospel booklets to carry because weight training is good and helpful. And after all, in missions, we don't just need to get our body there. We've got to bring Bibles and gospel literature to to people. So while men carry twice the weight that women do, we are discriminatory in that sense. Um, there's Women have different exercises to what men do. There's some things we overlap on, but uh, we've got some distinctly women's training, physical fitness style, and then we've also got um, some design for the men. The men will carry more weight, as they're meant to biblically, and men are meant to be protectors and providers, and when it comes to mission work, we need to carry the heavy weight. So people who finish our course will find they have gotten into a habit of daily devotions and Bible studies and Bible memorization. They'll be physically fitter. They'll be in a habit of doing physical training each day, So people end with their muscle stretch and their mind stretch and their faith stretch too. So the Great Commission, course, people can learn more about it by going onto the Frontline Mission sa.org website or emailing us mission at frontline.org.za or as Americans say, ca? So email mission at frontline.org.ca or you can email me, peter at frontline.org.ca and we'll direct you and you can go onto Frontline Mission sa.org website We've also got on Facebook page, we've got a Great Commission Camp and Course uh, Facebook page and a Biblical Worldview Summit Facebook page and of course there's the Frontline Fellowship one even though that's been uh, shadow banned and restricted lately by uh, the thought police of Zuckerberg and Facebook um, shamefully, but uh, people can find Frontline Fellowship and Literature of Africa also on Facebook and uh, myself of course too, Peter Hammond. So Uh, If people want to learn about this, this is a great introduction to missions. You don't have to make a commitment to Frontline Fellowship to attend our course. Uh, Many people who come to our course end up working for Youth with a Mission, Operation Mobilization, Wycliffe Bible Translators, Open Doors. People have ended up working for many different missions, and we're happy for that. But if people want to join Frontline, this is the essential introductory selection and training program to get involved in our missions to persecuted churches.
0: Thank you, Peter. And uh, just to let you all know as well, folks, that um,
1: January is
0: the South African summertime. Is that correct?
1: That's correct. Yes, we in spring right now. We have the opposite of whatever you've got in Northern Hemisphere. So it's summertime, long days, short nights, much more pleasant to have a Great Commission course in summer. We do sometimes have them in winter, which is cold and wet. Uh, but this is far more pleasant to come to Africa in our summer. And uh, you'll find it really quite an experience because we give people all kinds of insights and they'll have a chance to meet eagles and cheetahs and other wild animals Uh, we introduce in some rehabilitation place they'll get onto actual mission stations uh, and work parties and be involved in outreaches and there's one area in Cape Town which you could swear to Middle East it's called Boer Carp or the Malay Quarter and it's got 13 mosques in a small area and you walk around there, you'd swear that you're in the Middle East. We could do a film shoot there and make people think that there's somewhere up in the middle east that 's the kind of culture it is and we do we can train people Muslim evangelism there we 've got a busy harbor. we get people to shooting range they do self defense we have all kinds of skills, everything from sword fighting to archery to uh shooting uh, folks get opportunity to that unarmed combat you name it it's it's all part of this daily devotions practical training insights into cross-cultural missions. So it's it's a great introduction. If people want to get involved in missions, this is a good, intensive crash course uh, boot, boot camp. And those who don't want to spend three weeks in a great commission course, but just want to come for a week, well, we the first week is the Biblical Worldview Summit, which is uh, very much applying Lord to Christ to all areas of life, what's a biblical solution to all different areas and challenges in our society today, which includes a transgenderism, transhumanism kind of and, thought, police, insanity. how to respond to that, creation versus evolution, all that. So Biblical Worldview Summit is the first week. Everyone doing the Great Commission course does the Biblical Worldview Summit too, but that's a one-week program standing on its own. Mm-hmm. So people could come just for that if they don't want the whole three-week Great Commission course. We've been doing these for decades. So we've gotten um, to work out what works well and what doesn't work well, and uh, on the basis of what people have responded for, each year just gets better and better and more. Some people have responded, as you will see if you go on to our frontline mission essay.org website to look at upcoming events. What people have said after previous courses, and you can see some pictures of previous courses, there's some videos of previous Biblical Worldview Summits or Great Commission courses. And you'll get an idea that if you like mountains and wildlife and the outdoors and evangelism and getting involved on the ground, and if you want to get fitter, We guarantee we will stretch your minds, we will stretch your muscles, and you'll make friends there that will last forever. I mean, we've got such strong friendships that are built out of this. And one of the recommendations of it is my daughter, Daniela, has attended every course since she was 11. She's been involved and she wouldn't ever want to miss it. We've got people who have done the course three, four, five times and coming from overseas and done it again and again. So that's a good recommendation when people come back and want to do it again.
0: Yes, and uh, think about it, folks. Uh, what would you like to be doing in January in the cold in the West? Or you could be having your summer holiday early, and it'll be a rewarding summer holiday. I'm not the sort of person that can go away for two weeks sitting by a pool. I'm the sort of person that likes to get out and about, go on the trips, what have you. And from seeing the pictures at the end of the course on the top of. Uh, table mountain which i've actually used to show images i believe one of the traditional christian messages i did last year was on the great commission course and you can see how happy all these people are that they've achieved this uh, excellent course teaching them about all areas both mentally rather physically and uh, all areas of spirituality uh, in relation to jesus christ and spreading his word through missionary activity so that being said i want to thank peter so much for joining us today on a show entitled the real story of how revolutions turn on their own revolutionaries peter and i'll be back with you at the same time next week i'll be back with you on saturday until then folks have a wonderful week and bye for now